What a wonderful day it is. Today I have the privilege of preaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I preached three times in three days. Friday night we talked about the lessons we learned from the crucifixion of Jesus. Last night we had some testimonies about the old life. You know, the scripture says that the old life was buried with Jesus. When Jesus went out down, down into the grave for those days, the Bible said when we have put our, place our faith in him, the old man, that term in scripture means the life in sin, the life we inherited from Adam. But that's not the life. That's a life that's gone now. I mean, you know, whoever's in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Brother Frank Dixon, Brother Reese Frosch, last evening, they testified some very powerful testimonies of the life of sin that God delivered them from. So today we're talking about the great resurrection. We don't leave Jesus in the grave because he's not in the grave. He is alive today. I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel in many, many parts of the world. I've preached the gospel in Russia South America, Central America, preach the gospel in different parts of the world. And I can tell you that's the same gospel we're going to preach today because it never, ever changes. Today, I've titled the message, The Resurrection of Jesus Christ, The Witnesses. Did you hear that? The Witnesses. How do we know that Christ has risen? What proof have I to give? He touched my life one, one blessed day, and I began to live. How do I know he left the tomb that morning long ago? I met him just this morning, and my heart is still aglow. How do I know that endless life he gained for me that day? A life within is proof enough of immortality. How do I know that Christ still lives? Rich blessings to impart. He walks with me along the way, and he lives within my heart. That's a poem. Jesus is here today. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reality, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical event, it is the most important event. Uh, with, the, with the death and the subsequent resurrection, is the most important event in all of human history as it relates both to the saved and to the lost. The death of Jesus and the resurrection is the central event in Christianity. How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ to create Christianity this important? If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. If there is a resurrection then the church is alive and well, and he's building his church. On the basis of what did Jesus rise, and on the basis of where did this message come from, here is what I know as I read the scripture, read many verses today, and that's this. The evidence that we have today, the message that we have today of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ came from eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. I want to talk about those witnesses today. In the New Testament, there are 10 distinct references 
to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me read just one. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. This will be on the screen for your help today. Read this. Now, after the Sabbath, the first day of the week began to dawn. Mary Magdalene. I like Mary Magdalene. I was in Mary Magdalene's hometown just the other day. Magdala on the shores of Galilee. We were there in, in Magdala. Here's this woman. You know what? Think about this. The first person that had the privilege of proclaiming the gospel after Jesus was raised from the dead. Was it, weren't the twelve. No, 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 ma'am. No, ma'am. No, sir. I want you to know it was this lady, Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus had cast seven devils out of. She proclaimed him first. And the other Mary came to the tomb. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like, the light, like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and be, became like dead men. I mean, they just passed out in terror. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not fear, or do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went quickly from the tomb with, for, with fear and great joy. And they ran to bring the disciples' word. And as, they, and as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus. Come on. Behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. Come on, rejoice. Come on, we ought to be the happiest folks in the, on the face of the earth. Our Lord's out of the tomb. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Rejoice. Come on, church, rejoice. I'm about to get happy. I hope you get happy with me today. Come on, we're happy. Jesus out of, out of the tomb. Tax days passed. Oh, we got the, come on. <laughs> Some of you filed an extension. It's looming over you. But anyway, rejoice. So they came. And held him by the feet and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. It is very clear from the New Testament that our message is based on eyewitnesses. Jesus even indicated this in John 17, 20. When he was, in the gar he was praying, he said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me, listen, through their word, through their eyewitness. Jesus expected his disciples to be witnesses. John, 20, John 15, 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Acts 1 and 8. Every Pentecostal knows this. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Come on, say it. And you shall be my witnesses. As you study the sermons in the book of Acts, what you find out is that the theme, what is the theme? The theme of the apostolic preaching in the New Testament is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You don't find one sermon in here that doesn't contain the death and resurrection of Jesus. I will not take time to read those. I'll reference those. Acts 1.22, Acts 2.32, Acts 3.15, 4.33, 10.39 and 40-41, 13.31. Every one of them talk about the apostles being what? Eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So here's what I want to talk about for a few moments. 
We'll do a little bit of apologetics here today. Since our faith rests upon the testimony of eyewitnesses, I have some questions. I have some questions. Here's the questions I have. Were the witnesses credible? Do we, should we even take these folks seriously? In other words, did they just make this stuff up? I mean, you can make up anything. There's, there's religions that have been made up in the minds of men. Certainly that's a possibility. But I want to tell you what we have today is more solid than the earth you're standing on. This is historically documented. But we're going to look at these resurrect, we're going to look at these witnesses today. And there's a number of things I want to share with you, just three really. First of all, I want you to look at, first of all, as we look at the eyewitnesses, we want to look at the number of witnesses. I mean, if it was one guy on the backside of Sinai that said, hey, I had this. But how many witnesses were there of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It may surprise you concerning this. Because here's the thing. What I want you to see is, is that the number of witnesses is important. It's very important. The strength or weakness of any testimony is affected by the number of witnesses. In fact, in our own legal system, the more witnesses you have, the more strength it gives as the testimony goes forth. As we, as we, of course, you know that our, our United States legal system comes out of the law of Moses. And we look back in the law of Moses, and what we find is this, that even under Jewish law, the more witnesses there were, the more validity that it gave to the testimony. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 6 says this, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Do you see it? The more witnesses, the stronger the testimony there is. So how many witnesses were there of the resurrection of our Lord? Well, there were many. In, look on the screen, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 3, Paul talks about this, and then we'll go to some of these, but look at this. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ Jesus died according to our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. Now notice verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's the apostle Peter. Then he was seen by the twelve, by the way, more than once. After that, he was seen, notice, look at it with me, by over 500 people. Maybe you didn't know that was in the Bible. Maybe you thought it was just these 12. 500 people at one time experienced Jesus in his resurrection. 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part still remains. In other words, we're not coming up with some kind of secret thing we've made up. Paul is saying, you want to go talk to these people? Go. You can find these 500 people. Every one of them were there. Go find them. Many of them are living. They will tell you this is a real story. Jesus, the Son of God, lived, died, buried, raised on the third day. Come on. We're talking about the witnesses. Then it says, some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James. And then again by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also. As one born out of due time. So think about this. He appeared to Simon Peter. So in Luke 24, 34, he appeared to Simon Peter 
on his own, just him and Jesus had a little conference. Now, you know Peter failed the Lord. Now, I know none of you failed the Lord. I know that, that you, you guys have lived perfect lives, even since you've been Christians, right? Never sinned against God, never failed the Lord in any way. Well, Peter really relates to all of us, doesn't he? He blew it. He failed the Lord. And in the mercy of God, Jesus knew that Peter's heart was so heavy, so guilty because of his own failure that he, I believe, thought, I need to go have a little personal conference with Peter. And he went and had some kind of private one-on-one with Peter. I, I believe he kind of said something like this, Peter, I know you failed me. And I know you're disappointed, but guess what, Peter? It's not over. I still have a work for you to do. I still love you. I can still use you. Your sins are not so great that I can't forgive. Peter, I forgive you. I'm, I've washed you. I want you to know I've still got great things for you. And guess who it was on the great day of Pentecost who stood up and preached the first sermon? That was the apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. Peter stood up and proclaimed, and he had a great ministry. You may have failed the Lord, which we all have, but I want you to know, get up. Come on, get up, get up and serve God. Oh, hallelujah. And then we know in Luke 24 that he was seen by the 12 apostles. He, he met with them. And then we know that in Matthew 28, verse 10, it refers to the 500 people up in Galilee, probably that he met with them. 500 people, are they all crazy? Are they all incredulous? Are they all believing some kind of fairy tale, some kind of theory, some kind of thing? No, no, friend. 500 people. And then James. This is probably mentioned the Lord's half-brother. And then think about this. Two years, two years after all of that, two years later, there was a man by the name of Saul. Two years. Going on the Damascus Road. And Jesus shows up in his life. And Paul testified of it in Acts 22, 6. I'll just read it briefly. Here's what he says. Acts 22, verse number, what did I say? 22, come on, somebody help me. 22, verse 6. There we go. I need you. And, and now it happened. This is Paul's testimony before a king. This is a man who was an enemy of God or enemy of Jesus. But he met Jesus two years after his, after his ascension. And here's what it says. Now it happened as I journeyed, I came near Damascus. At about noon, suddenly a light from heaven shone around me and I fell on the ground and, and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Two years later, Paul. And then there's other appearances. Let's move quickly. There's Mary Magdalene. Recently, I ministered at a funeral, and I've never preached a sermon on Mary Magdalene until just recently. And I began to study Mary Magdalene. And I began to look at how she was first to the garden there, and the Lord appeared to her first. And when she saw him in tears, at the garden tomb, she saw the stone rolled away. She thought somebody had stolen his body. She was asking those people there. She loved him so much. She said, Lord, or, or sirs, if you'll just tear me, tell me where his body is, I will take it away. Please tell me where the body of my Lord is. And finally she left and she met what she thought was the gardener. But through the, through the tears, she was weeping. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus says to her, Mary. And that voice, I mean, you know, there's no voice like that voice. There's no voice like the voice of Jesus. And all of a sudden, she, I believe she said, I know that voice. That's Jesus. That's the one who cast those devils out of me. That's Jesus. That's my Savior. And she began to cling to him. And he said, Mary, don't cling to me. Because I haven't ascended yet. I, I, I want you to go tell the disciples that I've risen. She went and told them, and the dummies didn't believe it at first. Bunch of dumb, hard-headed men. Don't say amen, ladies. Oh, Jesus, help us today. We also know there were other women that he appeared to coming from the tomb. We also know the great story in Luke 24 when he was... The men, the two disciples of his, were walking on the Emmaus Road, and they were sad, and they were dejected. This is in Luke 24, rather. Luke 24. And they were dejected, and they were sad, and they were talking about this. They had thought, they had thought this Jesus was the Messiah. They had thought he was the hope of Israel. And they saw them place him on a cross, nails in his hand, nails in his feet, crowned down upon his brow, placed in the tomb, dead. Jesus is dead. But he ain't staying dead. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up after his resurrection. And he draws near to them and said, hey, boys, what you talking about? Now, I added that part, okay? That's, if he had been from Texas instead of Jerusalem or instead of Nazareth, that's what he would have said. What are you boys talking about? They said, are you just a visitor, a guest? In, in, in Jerusalem, and have you not heard about what's happening, what has happened? And he's, see, God doesn't need any information. It's almost like he said, Adam, where are you? Well, he knew where he was. He's not trying to gain information. He's trying to see what, what we're going to do, right? He said, what, what, what about this Jesus? He, he said, he, he came, he, he was the miracle worker. We thought he was the one. And then finally he said, oh, you slow of heart to believe. And then Jesus started preaching to them all the way from the Old Testament, all the way through there. He started talking to them and they said, hey, why don't you come home with us? Now I'm adding that part too there. I just, well, I'm sure they asked him. You always need to ask the preacher over for a meal, right? Come on. Come on, right? <laughs> come on. Don't be feeding me no Taco Bell either. Come on. Amen. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, we took a dirt road somewhere, but anyway. So he went with them and ate with them. This alive. I'm, I'm talking about the witnesses. Jesus is alive, and now they're eating together. And here's what it said, and I love this. Communion is very important to me. My old Catholic upbringing. I was Catholic. Some of you don't know that. Most of you do. I was Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I went through catechism, went through First Communion. I was an altar boy. I, I, and, and we always had communion. That was it. Got in my soul. But then I really got in the Word of God, and I realized it's important in the New Testament. And the Bible said he broke the bread, and then all of a sudden, he was gone. He vanished. They ran back to Jerusalem. 
And they told the apostles, we have seen Jesus. We have walked with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. He talked to us out of the scriptures. And those guys, those two men said, did not our heart burn within us when he talked? Wouldn't you love to have just sat through one sermon of Jesus to hear the nuances of his voice, to hear the tone of his voice? We know, we know this. We know the Old Testament says that he spoke with grace. He spoke with grace. There was such a grace that flowed out of him. Did not our hearts burn within him as we spoke? And then he told the apostles this. We knew him in the breaking of bread. You hear that? We knew him. In other words, as soon as he broke that bread, we knew it was him. And you know what? When we take the bread and when we take the juice, guess what? We're, we're learning what God is about. We're learning that he loved us enough to hang on that cross which we depicted, which went to 100,000 people or more around here. And that's the message we have, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. And then he appeared to the apostles again. Thomas was absent. You always have those kind of folks dragging around. Come on. Late for service, not showing up. Thomas missed the Sunday night meeting. Come on, amen. You know, when you miss church, you really miss something. I'm telling you the truth. When you miss a chance to hear this blessed book, when you miss a chance to sing these songs of redeemed, when you, you miss the chance to pray, you miss the chance to fellowship. I don't want to miss one meeting. Thomas missed the meeting. And so they said, hey, Thomas, how, how many of you notice when you miss church, those are the greatest services. You ever notice that? Isn't that the truth? Well, the Holy Spirit fell. People were healed, touched, saved, all this. Oh, I missed it. And don't you know those guys are rubbing it in? Nah, 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 Thomas, guess what happened? Jesus showed up. And Thomas said, I'll not believe it, lest I see the nail prints in his hands and his feet. Lest I see, lest I put my finger in the side where he was pierced. I'll not believe it. I mean, when you got preachers talking like that, you're in trouble. But Jesus showed up again at the meeting. How many know he'll show up every time you ask him to show up? Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in his midst. And all of a sudden, Thomas is in the next meeting, and Jesus shows up and points out Thomas. Thomas, come here. Look at the nails in my hands, Thomas. Look at the the pierce in my side. Put your hand in there. Oh, Thomas, why are you so slow to believe? Blessed are those that don't see and believe. Today, I've never seen Jesus Christ. I've never heard his audible voice, but I can tell you I believe today that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he's alive at the right hand of Father, and I believe we're heading there when we die because my faith is in Christ and Christ alone. And then Jesus showed up again, John 21, at the lake of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. He's standing on the shore. Children, have you caught anything? Fished all night long. Nothing. Children, Jesus calls, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? They cast the net in. They caught a fish. They couldn't even pull in the net. There was so many. Peter said, that's Jesus. 
He just, you know, presumptuous, impetuous, the apostle Peter. He dives in the water. He runs to shore, and there Jesus is, and they have a meal together. And you remember this. He said, Peter, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny the Lord? And three times by that campfire on the Sea of Galilee, three times Jesus says to Peter, among them all, because see, he had bragged. He had bragged. I'm not going to fail you. These guys may fail you, but I'm the man of faith and power. They may fail. I will not. I'll go to death for you. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? In a low voice, you know I love you, Lord. How I many know God can squeeze all that pride out of us? I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Well, the Lord prodded a little more. Peter, do you, do you love me? Second time. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. He prodded a little deeper. He was showing Peter, Peter, you can't depend on yourself. You have to trust me. Do you love me? You Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. They appeared to them. And the ascension, Acts 1, 3 through 12. Here is Jesus. And he's standing before them. And he goes, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it said they were there. And they were looking up and watching him going into heaven. And, and the angel showed up and said, Why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen go away, will come in like manner in which you have seen him go away. He has risen from the dead. He ascended. And ladies and gentlemen, he is, he will return again. He will return again. So think about it. Forty days after his resurrection, 10 different appearances, 500 at one time, amazing. So the question is, these are the answer. These people were absolutely convinced that Jesus had raised from the dead. So think about this quickly. The number of witnesses important. There, there is a plethora of, of witnesses during those 40 days of the resurrection. The witnesses. Everyone say that. The witnesses. The number of witnesses. But here's the second thing, and I'll be a little quicker on this, and that's this. If, if we're going to take the witnesses to be credible and not gullible and not incredulous and not ignorant people that just believe some fairy tale, if we're going to believe this, what about the character of the witness? How many know that, the, the, that somebody who gets on the stand and witnesses, they can beat them to pieces if they have no character? Good lawyers do it all the time. What about the character of these people? Well, first of all, I want you to see this. Many of these people that believed in the resurrection did not believe in Jesus before the resurrection. They did not believe in Jesus during his lifetimes, in, in his lifetime. First of all, his own brothers did not believe. That means James and the other brothers, and we know he had sisters, his family his own family, though he was the Son of God, did not believe that he was the Savior during their lifetime. They did not believe. They even thought he was crazy. Mark 23, 21, listen to this. This is the testimony of his family. But when his own people, that's his family, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he, Jesus, is out of his mind. 
his own family, did not believe in him. But they did believe later. What was it that caused them to believe? What caused them to believe is the resurrection. Because we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that when they were tearing, waiting for the Holy Spirit, Mary the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus' brothers were there in that prayer meeting. What had changed their mind? The dead Jesus is alive and he appeared to them. It was the resurrection that called them to believe. Some of the witnesses were skeptical like Thomas Thomas said, I won't believe. He didn't even believe the other apostles. Jesus has appeared. I don't believe it. He wanted empirical evidence. He wanted evidence that would stand, not just theory. He wanted evidence that was solid and observable. And Jesus said, look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side. And one of these witnesses that we've mentioned was an absolute enemy of Jesus Christ. His name was Saul, later to become, change his name to Paul. To me, the greatest Christian to ever live was an enemy of Jesus Christ, hated Jesus Christ, hated the church, hated everything about it. And in fact, he, he thought that God was telling him to destroy the church. You find that in Acts 26, 9 through 11. I won't read it. it thought, he thought that he was doing the work of God by opposing and destroying those who called themselves of the way the Christians. And yet that man, an enemy, became to me, in my thinking, the greatest Christian the world has ever known. How did that happen? All because they really, truly met the resurrected Christ and loved him and fell in love with him. These were not gullible witnesses. They weren't incredulous people. These are people that required overwhelming testimony. So I'll close with this third thing. And that's this. We're not, we're not just talking about the number of witnesses. There are many, hundreds. We're not just talking about the, 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 the character of the witness. Let's look at, lastly, I'll close with this, the strength of the witnesses. First of all, let's, let's look at the, the nature of the testimony. The, I, I, would, I would declare the testimony of these eyewitnesses as empirical. You know what that is. Empirical evidence. First of all, for 40 days, they were given Acts 1 and 3 infallible proofs. The word infallible, kind of an outdated word. It means undeniable proof. Our faith doesn't rest on empty nothing. We have a solid, written down, historically documented faith. We're standing on solid ground. 40 days, they met with him. They ate with him. And they drank with him. John says, we saw him, we heard him, and we touched him. There is no way that these people were deluded. There's no way these people are deceived. These people, I mean, if they just had hallucination and dream and weird dreams, no. Jesus met with individuals. He also met with groups. The nature of their testimony is empirical. And I think another, another strength of the witnesses is the way God transformed their lives. 
Jesus is, Jesus is in the transforming business. I wish all of you could have been here last night to hear Brother Reese's and Brother Frank's testimony. Brother Frank, I don't think you'd mind me saying this, has had a traumatic life. I mean, just horrible. His life was in such despair that he had a butcher knife in a crack house. And he had already shoved it about an inch and a half in. And it had just started hurting. And he cried out to God and said, God, help me. But he wasn't crying out to be saved. He was crying out for God to give him the strength to, to push it on in. And he said, I heard a voice, probably not audible. But that voice said this, if you'll put down the knife, tomorrow will be different. And Brother Frank had done drugs 200 days in a row. And every day he did drugs, he said, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. And he did it again tomorrow. I mean, you know, when that monkey's on your back and when that voice cries out, you come. When that drug hooks you, when it calls you, you come. He was in such despair. His father met him at the door. Wouldn't let him inside. Gave him a $50 bill and said, son, I'm going to tell you something. The world would be a better place without you in it. And so he finds himself in the back of a crack house with a, with a knife an inch and a half in his chest. And he hears probably the, the Holy Spirit say to him, if you'll put that knife down, tomorrow will be different. And he had always prayed, I want tomorrow to be different. But he put that knife down. And tomorrow, the next day was the first day in 200 days. He had not done drugs. Jesus saved him. He has been a blessing to this church. He helped us build these classrooms for these babies. He helped us renovate the downtown sanctuary. One of the greatest blessings this church has ever had. All because this Jesus is not some figment of our imagination, not some phantom, not some theory, not some made-up story like some Greek mythology. Our Jesus came to this earth, lived 33 and a half years, died on the cross, buried in the tomb, rose on the third day, never to die again. He's alive. And he's in the life-changing business. Think about the transformation. After the death of Jesus, all the disciples fled away. Peter denied him three times. The women at the crucifixion mourned. After the death, the disciples were sad, Luke 24, 13 through 17. And then we find the disciples hiding behind closed doors. Fear of the Jews. But it all changed. The next thing you know, we, we open the word of God and they're out publicly in front of the very people that had crucified Jesus in Jerusalem. And they're proclaiming Jesus and they're saying, this Jesus whom you crucified and you're going to be judged by him. How, the, how can that happen? It can happen because Jesus showed up and gave them courage. The Bible said they were praising in the temple daily, unashamed, worshiping Jesus. And they said, stop talking about this Jesus. Don't preach anymore in his name. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. All that fear was gone. All that timidity was gone. Why? Number one, Jesus was alive. And number two, the Holy Spirit had filled them. You know, the Holy Spirit will give you courage. He'll give you courage. 
And, and, and lastly here, listen. When you look at the high moral standard of the New Testament Christians. These are not some phony Sunday morning only people and they live like a bunch of devils throughout the week. These were holy people. These were people like the Apostle Paul could say in th to the Thessalonians, you remember the way we lived among you, how honorably, how honestly we work with our hands, how holy we lived among you. And none of them could deny it. The New Testament teaches a high moral standard. The Bible says, don't lie anymore. You read the New Testament with an open heart and an open mind, and I'm going to tell you what you'll find is these are people that are not, not lying. These are people that told the truth. They're not propagating a lie. And when you think about Paul, who was an enemy of Jesus Christ, and then you look at what they were willing to suffer, you think they'd suffer for a lie? John, as an old man, all the other apostles were martyred. But it says in the Revelation chapter 1, John, I, John, was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. In 1960, Bill and Gloria Gaither were going through a very difficult time in their lives. There was a dark shadow in their life. Gloria Gaither, Gaither references a day when she was sitting in her living room, lights off, felt like the enemy just camped in their home. And then she said this, she testified, and then all of a sudden, the presence of Jesus came in. And all those fears and all that anxiety and worry was dispelled by the very presence of the living Jesus. And out of that, she wrote this song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fears are gone. Because I know, no, he holds my future. And life is worth the living just. Because he lives. I want you to stand with me as we sing that. And we're going to pray together. I want you to stand with me. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fears are gone. Because I know, I know He holds my future And life is worth the living just They're going to begin to play Tori's going to begin to play this song
I believe Jesus is alive. His spirit is here today to bless you, to help you. All that God has ever done is to bless the world. Maybe you're here today and you've never come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The greatest day of my life, you, you know, you look at great days. I look at my, my, my daughters that worship, this daughter here, this daughter, little, my little baby girl that was worshiping over here, my oldest daughter. And those were great days when they were born. When my wife had our children, I said, look what I did. She didn't appreciate that at all. <laughs> and you can think of great days in your life. And those are wonderful days and blessed days. But you know, the greatest day of my life was the day that I invited Jesus and I surrendered my life to Him. I was so empty as a young man. So I would call my life empty and driven as a young man. But someone invited me to church to hear the gospel and I heard the gospel. And my life was so full of darkness, so full of sin, shame. But I came to Jesus. You know, the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find two things at the throne of God, that you may find mercy and, and grace to help you in your time of need. And if God had said to me, you, you're too wicked, I banish you to hell forever, I would have deserved that. God would have been not faulted for that. I deserved that. Because all of us deserve that. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I deserve that. But you know what I found? I found mercy. He, he was merciful to me. I said, God, would you please forgive me? I turn away from these sins. Would you pardon me? Would you break this power over my life? And when I invited him in and confessed him as Lord and said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, he came in. And, and the, the, all the good things in my life are because of Jesus Christ. All the good things in my life are because of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today. And maybe you've never accepted Christ in your life. Maybe you're even confused about what that's all about. You know, some people think, well, I'm Christian versus Buddhist. No, it's not. It's not. There's many people that go to church that are not even saved. Going to church will not save you. Only a relationship with Jesus will save you. The supernatural born-again experience in our lives. I would like to pray a prayer. And I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Coming to a front doesn't save you. Signing a church card doesn't save you. I was a member of a church. I wasn't saved. But I did get saved. And you can be saved today. I want you to think with me just a moment here before I pray this prayer. The Bible is very clear in the teaching about eternity. There's not two or three places. There's not three places or four places. The Bible is clear that one who's accepted Jesus into their heart and surrendered in true salvation and been born again at death, they go into the presence of God immediately. Immediately. But someone who's rejected Jesus Christ and dies in that state go immediately into a place of torment. That's a fact. That's the fact of the Word of God. And the sadness of all that is this. 
Jesus has done everything he can to save us. God gave his son on the cross, shed his blood, took our penalty. All the wrath of God that I deserve, it went on Jesus. He took all that out of love and mercy. To walk away from Jesus is to walk away from hope. A lot of sad and hopeless people. Today I saw on the news feed where 200 people were killed in Sri Lanka in a bombing. How sad. Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. Oh, you don't know the way I've lived. It doesn't matter. People have lived better than you and worse than you. That's the truth. But our Jesus is the light of the world. He came. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He can take away your sin. He can give you mercy. He wants to forgive you. He won't hold it over your head. He doesn't hold. I mean, our God doesn't hold grudges. If you'll give give him your sin, he'll take your sin. He'll, He'll take it away. He'll cast it away from you. He'll change your heart. He'll change your life. Maybe you're here today and you're a backslider. You're, you, you once served the Lord, but somehow you, you really drifted away from God. He wants to restore that relationship. He loves you today. I want you to bow your heads with me. And if you need to pray this prayer, I'm going to pray it. But don't, don't just pray it because I pray it. But I want you to pray it because you need it. You know you need God. You know you need Christ. You know you need to be restored. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray it out loud. Everybody's going to pray it, but if you really need to pray it, most of us have prayed it before, but you need to pray this prayer of receiving Christ. Listen, saying words alone won't do it. If you say it and don't believe it, it doesn't matter. But if you believe, Jesus is waiting to receive your prayer. He's waiting for you to, to make you his child. And I want everyone to pray this prayer. And if you need to pray this prayer, you pray it together with these blessed ones. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I have failed you many times. I'm ashamed of my sin. And right now the Holy Spirit is convicting me. I realize I need you, but I realize I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I ask you to be my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross, was buried, and rose again on the third day. I ask you to cleanse my sin. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in you. Make me your child. Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. Give me a new beginning. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you just to worship God there for a moment. I want you to thank Him. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to just thank Him right there, all of us. Lord, we thank You for hearing our prayer. You're a prayer hearing God. You're a prayer answering God. You're merciful. You're merciful. You're a gracious God. Thank You for the marvelous grace of God. Not one sin that we confess and turn away from. Not one sin will You hold against us. You've been so merciful to us, Lord. Hallelujah. I want us to begin, I want us to sing just a bit. Let's begin to sing.
I know He holds my future And life is worth Come on, sing it again to the Lord. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is I'm going to ask Brother Reese. In fact, Reese and Maddie, would you come? Jason, would you come? And if you have any prayer needs in your life, I'm going to dismiss you. Here's what I'd ask you to do. If you prayed that prayer to receive the Lord or to come back to the Lord, if you want to come and let us pray with you a little more, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to tell you about what the Christian life is all about. It's the best life there is. It's a wonderful life. We'd love to, but if you, if you love the Lord and maybe you have a need, maybe you're sick in body, maybe you're struggling in an area of your life. I know that one of our family, church family members, Sister Plocky, I think broke her ankle, I heard. Is that true? Broke her ankle. And, and I know there's other needs. Sister Merle Hood is, has cancer. And unless the Lord's healed her, we know that we'll be doing a funeral soon. But we'll be doing a home going. We'll be doing a celebration. And we love her. But if you have a need in your life, we care. Like what we put on that sign out there. If you're hurting, we do care about you. And if, as, as I conclude today, if you want to come and just we'll pray with you and we'll, we'll believe God with you today. It's been such a wonderful day to spend with you. I know your kids got some great resurrection teaching out there. Appreciate all of us. I want you to be praying about this journey. We'll be closing on the downtown sale very soon. We're moving forward. We've talked to our builder. He's, he's gearing up. And we, we're going to raise funds over the next 12 months. And we are in 18 months. I wish I could fast forward to 18 months. It's going to be so exciting. And Brother Scott, that vision you saw of the river coming off, I believe it started with these crosses the other day. I'm telling you, it started. That message went to hundreds of thousands of people. And, that, and, and I tell you, there's a harvest that we're going to reap. And God has chosen you to be a part of this great revival. I tell you, a revival is about to break out. The tender is about to fire. The Holy Spirit has got our hearts ready. Are you with me, church? Come on. Are you with me? It's happening. I'm telling you, it's happening. It's happening. It's about to happen. This church is about to move forward in an amazing way. And I thank each of you today. Our Father, we thought we're so grateful on this great resurrection day that we could proclaim that He is risen. I pray your blessing on every guest that's with us today. I pray every person feels grace and feels love. Pray for those today that may have further needs that we can pray for. Tie us together in incredible love. Incredible love. In church, I dismiss you with these words. Our new church name, Trinity Life Church, is based out of 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 
That's where the church name comes from. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And everyone said, Amen. Have a great afternoon with your family. God bless you.